Hi, this is Tony Silva. And Charles Wiz. And this is episode 79 of Two Teachers Talking. Charles and I get together to talk about teaching. And uh, today it's exactly what we're going to do. Um, nothing abstract. For the first time. For the first yeah, time. Really, maybe. Brass tacks. Very practical. It's like, okay, we're going to talk about how we teach. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, maybe maybe just a, you know, a small disclaimer. It's like, this is not... This is not how you should teach. We're just going to talk about how we do it. And um, you take it for face value. Take it for what it's worth. Uh, use what you can. Um, scoff at the rest if you like. That's fine. Um, but we'll take a well, I'm sure that taking... people who have listened to our podcast have been scoffed. Well, yeah, they, they, know how to, <laughs> they know how to do that pretty well. <laughs> you guys know how to scoff well. Okay, mm. yeah. So, yeah, yeah so... and we're going to... It's going to be kind of a lightning round kind of thing. We're going to do different teaching different things and put a timer on it like five minutes which would be as you as you're all laughing at home um a, yeah, first. a real challenge for both of us <laughs> to yeah, keep it under yeah, five we minutes speak in time. multiple paragraphs don't we well, that's our that is our want it's our want especially when you have so much to say but right, mm. yeah i like that what you said Tony, or think we this do is, <laughs> i like what you said though that this is not how you should do it this is simply how we try to do it or you know after all this time how we think we should do it and then you know kind of this goes back to um basically the very core and the, and the idea behind the podcast itself right um two teachers or more sitting around and just talking about what we do and what worked we found worked what doesn't and scratching our heads <laughs> just like well i don't know why this doesn't work but um that's and this is basically it and this is kind of really kind of close to the bone yeah, by the way, we should do one on great failures. I think we've I just done realized that. It. I think we've done <laughs> like something like that. But that just tells you it, it's it's the end failures. of a year. It's the end of a year, so I think I've got a whole new litany or list of uh, mm -hmm. great failures. Okay, so yeah, so we're going to try to stay focused five minutes. Um, we've got timers. Both of us have timers here, and we're just going to go through how we try to teach things, right? So what's on our list today? Okay, so uh, last week we talked um, about fluency, but we never really got much into the details of it. So uh, first up is teaching fluency. Go, Charles. Go, me? Okay, yeah. starting the timer. <laughs> <laughs> that was sneaky. Okay, fluency. Rule number one, always um, the students have to have familiarity with the material, familiarity with the subject, and there's nothing new. So there's no new words, no new vocabulary, no new grammar. Fluency means that they already know the stuff and then they're practicing using it smoothly. Um, Paul Nation has talked about, I think, the 5-3-2 or the 4-3-1 activity where you give students five minutes to talk about something, then you have them say the same thing in three minutes and have them say the same thing in two minutes. Um, really, really good activity. Um, and that's how I would do it right away real quickly. It's a great technique, but the key there is never, never, never introduce anything new into a fluency activity. It has to be stuff that they're familiar with, um, that they know about. How about you? Well, my two cents overlaps a lot with yours. And when we're talking about fluency, you're talking about activating uh, existing knowledge. Um, the caveat is is that um, the, a mistake, talk about failures, mistakes that I make is assuming that knowledge, right? So you, mm. you think that you've set up this activity and that these... Um, you know, a class plan for students to activate this existing knowledge, but you really need to really make sure that that knowledge exists. That's uh, a really and again, good it goes point. back to one of my things about you know a really good needs assessment because you can. I mean, it's very easy to assume that the the students know more than they really do because you know they've they've developed their strategies and you know they know how to act in the classroom. It's like well, they're not fuddling around. You think that they're just using what they already know, a lot of those kids might not know that. And for a lot of them, it, it is new. And that's one way for the, the class to kind of fall flat on its face. That's a really, really good point. And one way to deal with that is always remember, starting with the review, ending with the review. So go. the students always have time on that. But again, when you talk about these fluency activities, you're not going back to the week before. You're right. talking about stuff that they've really had a lot of time on. So if you're going to do a fluency activity, let's say in the first week or the second week, you're really going back to things, simple things, easy things that they covered in, let's say, high school even. Sure. Junior high school ago. or high school. Sure. Absolutely. Right, right. And the other thing is, is that I'm going to say that I don't think it's activation of prior knowledge, right? It's what you're working towards is 
automaticity, right? There so you go. It's just Good. automatic because activating is going to have some cognitive processing, some cognitive load there, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. So it has, your focus is on really, to put it into a simple term, is smooth communication so right. that there's no scuba diving into the mind, so to speak, as I think Kurt Vonnegut put it once. <laughs> but it's things that are there and that they're just trying to work on the how automatically they can use it, how easily they can use it. Um, also, when you're doing these kind of activities, teaching them the repetition technique when they get stuck. It's like free writing, right? Um, I don't know where I went after. And if they can't think, you teach them to say, I don't know where I went after, after, after. I don't know where I went after, after I went to. And so helping them continuously, you know, having some output. But we're talking, that's fluent speaking, but we could also talk about fluent reading, fluent listening. And in fluent reading, you want to control for vocabulary. Um, and this is where getting a text and then putting it into something like um, the Complete Lexical Tutor using Vocab Profile um, by Paul Nation or some of these other kind of vocabulary tools so that the vocabulary is controlled. And you're looking, remember, accordingly to Paul Nation and some other research, it seems that a flu fluent reading, you really need like 98, 99% coverage. In other words, a student has to understand and know 98, 99% of those words so that they can read fluently. Once they go below that, they start looking up words, they don't understand things and they stop. So that's fluent speaking, fluent reading, same thing for fluent listening, make sure they're familiar, and they have to be familiar with the topic also, right? Right, and when yeah, talking about fluency and looking at the activities or material that you're working with, that on, initially and on the surface, it might seem like the material or the activity is just way too simple for the students, but that's kind of where you need to be. That's exactly what it's for, right? It's yes, fluency. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and leave the students alone. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, stop correcting. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and in the fluency we, we activity, there's no correction. Well. There's no correction right. in a fluency right. activity. Right. That's a real key point, right, is that you never correct in a fluency activity because the point of it is is that you're just it's flow you just want them to be continuously moving along but i see right. a lot of teachers doing um student teachers especially correcting sure. in a fluency activity they can't help it they can't help yeah. correcting is that a teacher yeah. thing yep yeah. okay that's five minutes go there what's we the go next topic and you're going uh, 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 uh what's our next topic is it presentation is that what's on the list sure let's go with presentation Okay. Go. <clears throat> Presentation. I just do whatever Charles tells <laughs> that he does. Um, in my classes, uh, I really emphasize the what separates a, a good pub public speaking or, or presenter is just big capital P presenta uh, preparation, 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 um, and just really uh, hammering home the importance of going over that over that presentation or that speech, whatever it might be, just until you're sick of it and you're bored with it. And that what separates the, the good from the bad. Um, in my classes, I've got a whole um, folder full of videos that I use, examples of good speakers and bad speakers. Mm. Uh, we go over it in detail. It's like, okay, this is, take a look at this. This is what they're doing in terms of their body language, uh, in terms of telling a story, uh, use of detail, um, different ways of engaging the audience. That's another thing that I put a lot of emphasis on is, when you're um, presenting, and actually talked with one of your students um, about this, uh, about teaching and about uh, being a consultant, so forth and so on, the importance of empathy um, and being aware of your audience and have a good bit of thought and strategy about how to best engage that audience because they're people after all, and you're talking to people and uh, different ways to think about who it is that you're talking to, what it is, what's the, what's the idea that you're trying to get or ideas that you're trying to get them to walk away with. And also one of the other things that I do is <clears throat> you know, emphasize and allow them the space to have their own personal style. So you've got an audience who you're talking to. You've also got your own personal style, which is very different from person to person. Um, and to use that, not fight it, and not try to, because you can't. It, it, it's going to come off as false. And I emphasize those kinds of things. Charles. Okay. Yeah, um, the style thing I think is really important, especially in um, 
the graduate class I teach academic presentations in English, I come in and I say the most important thing we're working on right now is helping you develop your own style. And I think that's really important. The other thing is, is I, th I think you're right about empathy, that you have to do the audience analysis and understand it. But I always start my students off with that they have to do this. By the end of my talk, the audience will. And they have to be able to say, understand or act on. And that's a real good way. So they work on that. Um, I think uh, stories, trying to explain to them the importance of stories, always start with some kind of story, a little anecdote. Because as I tell them, nobody wants to listen to a speech. Nobody says, hey, it's Friday evening. You want to go listen to a speech. Speeches are inherently boring. So being empathetic, as you say, doing the audience analysis, understanding what the audience wants. Um, I spend a lot of time just with voice and body and getting students comfortable, just getting them talking. And basically, it's desensitization training because everybody's scared mm -hmm. and nervous. That's why, you know, um, we've talked about this before where I never have my students come up in front of a class and give a talk, but they do give talks one-on-one -on -one to groups of three, to groups of four, to groups of five. And as the semester goes on, you start expanding the groups so that it's larger and larger. Um, we go through and we talk about introduction, body, conclusion. What's the role of the introduction? the importance of an overview. Um, I also, in presentation, spend a lot of time on slide preparation and, you know, the PowerPointless kind of argument, and they're not mm. allowed to have bullet points. They're only allowed to use minimal text. There's a focus on images. And this is where presentation zen, is that it? Mm -hmm. Yes, Garth, that's the title of the book. Garth, um, Gar, Gar Reynolds. Gar Reynolds, right. Yeah. Garth Hudson <clears throat> is from the band. He's <laughs> Gar Reynolds, mm -hmm. um, which has some pretty good examples of good slides and bad slides and has a very good approach. Um, do, and the other thing is the students are not allowed to use PowerPoint until about mid-semester. So there's a real focus just on them talking, explaining, telling stories. I talk a lot about being concrete, using concrete examples, and the importance of stay away from definitions and use examples. Right. Mm -hmm. Examples and descriptions are far better than definitions. Definitions are difficult and the important that you can use simple, easy language to explain things. Um, the use of mind maps for organizing their presentations. So and they're not allowed. So this stops them from making notes and reading, writing out their speech and reading. They can only use mind maps when they're talking and giving their presentations. And I think that's about time, isn't it? It's uh, just about there, yeah. And that uh, that organization is something that I also hit really hard. Okay. Um, simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. <clears throat> okay, five minutes up. What's our next topic? Uh, reading. Uh, reading. That's my turn, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I do whatever you tell me to do. <laughs> <laughs> reading. Um, things, for example, that are great are um, a, an online service called Newzella, which has articles taken from all over news sources and different kinds of topics. And then they break it down into like three or four different levels. And that it's just you click on it and it gives you a different level of reading in terms of length and as well as complexity. Um, breaking News in English, is that it? Breaking News English? Um, again, which has different levels. Um, I'm finding out more and more that being able to have differentiated materials in any given class, because even in a streamed class, the variation between student levels is so high that allows students to, you know, find um, a level that's comfortable for them and allows them to work on an article. But also because, again, in the reading class, you're working on um, extended reading, extensive reading, and reading fluency, as well as trying to do comprehension. So that's why those different levels, the same student can use, you know, read through and then they can use a simple level for fluency and then they can move on and, you know, read another level for vocabulary learning if they want. Um, importance of schema, understanding the different kinds of genres and understanding just general rhetoric, how things are put together, how English logic and writing has a different organization to Japanese writing and Japanese styles of communicating is real important. Um, but in reading, real focus on vocabulary, getting them really to understand the words and also to understand the specific kinds of vocabulary they'll need, especially academic vocabulary, the um, academic word list, and well as technical vocabulary is real important. Um, we both, I think, really like reading power which I think yes. is a great textbook for even intermediate students, um, inter, in, you know, 
um, lower intermediate, lower level students, works great. And also, as we've said before, works great as a writing textbook. But that's off. That should be covered in the writing part. Um, also, giving students, um, having students reading online things, because that's where they're doing most of their reading now. And I also have my students, they're doing a lot of reading on their phones, because I think that's where they're doing also a lot of reading. And um, that's, I think, basically, that's two and a half minutes. Go, Tony. Okay. Yeah, especially with the reading, as we're going to get to the writing, too. Um, and really important thing, we talked a little bit about fluency. With reading, it's got to be simple enough. And again, a lot of times my students are, mm, you can see them bridle a bit, they're a little bit maybe offended that the stuff that I'm giving them is too simple, but it's got to be simple. And try to explain to them the difference, the difference between reading and translating. Mm, good reading, point. They should, they should be reading at, a, at a, close to 200 words per minute. Um, and few of them are because, because most of the time the material they get from their instructors is just way, way too difficult. They're translating. They're not reading. And it's like reading, you're not trans, you're not changing it back to your native language. You're staying in, in, in the L2. You're staying in the other language. Um, in terms of specific skills that I always try to hit, um, paragraph structure, uh, to kind of teaching them like that a lot of time, most of the time, lot, most of the time. Except um, in magazine articles and newspaper articles. Right, right. Yeah topic, <laughs> yeah, topic sentences, you want to read something quickly, just read the first and last sentence of every paragraph. It'll tell you enough of what's there, that if you need to read the whole paragraph or not. Um, vocabulary, like you, I, I both etymology, I, I teach, I hit that very hard, different parts of speech. Uh, roots and how to take apart words and figure out what they mean, as well as meaning from context. A um, whole batch of thinking skills, um, inference, uh, things that are not explicitly stated in the, in the text, uh, but that you need to kind of figure out like puzzles, which really good for this is riddles, right? And what I've done like with my, my, the blogs that I have for the students, every week they get a different riddle and they get a little, a, a tiny little extra point for figuring out the riddle. Um, and um, yeah, the, the the big the biggie is extensive reading. Okay, reading that's easy enough. Uh, I let the student to, to the extent possible let the students choose what they're going to read, what kind of material, what kind of stories, what kind of books, um, and lots of it. Yeah, so simple, easy. Let them have that experience of finishing a book. Uh, it's really kind of interesting to watch when you open up all those doors and let the students do those kind of things, how they actually, not all of them, but many, so many of them actually enjoy it. And that's pretty cool. Okay. I think we're kind of seven seconds left. Okay. <laughs> Shall we go to the next one? I'm, I'm following cool. the timer rule. Go. What's next? Uh, writing. Okay. I think you start, right? Okay. Writing. Well, with the, with the writing, it's, it's, it's just like with reading. Um, okay. Let's I really hammer topic. home simplicity. Um, from the very get to do, you know, try to break them of the idea that big words, long sentences means good writing. And then that's a problem that native speakers have in, in academia and business almost anywhere. Um, simple. And, and, uh, I know he's fallen out of favor, but, uh, the, uh, the, the, the E.B. White, the Strunk and White book, Elements mm. of Style, mm -hmm. um, uh, which I recommend to my, my higher level students. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just that whole idea of like eliminating unnecessary words. Um, and also, I'm an outlier here, um, especially for my students in Japan. Sorry, come at me. Five paragraph essay. Um, the idea of putting out an introduction, one paragraph for each of your main points and a, and a thought out conclusion gives, especially the Japanese students, a, a way of laying out what we consider just a basic rational argument it's like once they learn it then they can break it all they want but they're most of the students are so at a loss for coming across anything more than a paragraph when they start writing something a little bit longer they just get lost and then the whole idea of laying out an outline and my kids are always sick of that word outline by the end and, but then some of them still don't get it but Make an outline. If you didn't do anything long, make the outline. Make a plan. Um, the other thing, you know, for that type of writing, the other thing, completely opposite, getting them to write a lot. No pre-thought, no structure, no essay. Just sit down with a blank piece of paper, start writing. So writing journals in class or outside of class. Write, 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 write. And then 
share your writing with with other students in class. Or okay, write for, for ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Okay, pass your your notebook to the person to the left, to the person to the right. Read what your what with your classmates read. Write your comments on it. So, simplicity, organization, writing a lot. My turn. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, peer editing. Start off with that right away. Um, they should be doing peer editing all the time, checking each other, commenting to each other. I find that when they learn how to comment and edit their classmates' work, they're learning how to write better. And also, it's they're not gonna they don't there's no uptake in teacher comments and corrections. Um, right. Uh, free writing. Have them for 10 minutes every day. Have them writing in class every day is really very useful. And Tony, I have no problem at all with the five-paragraph essay. I think it's basically like learning scales in music. You learn mm -hmm. it, you learn it, you learn it, and then finally, okay, now you know how to do it. Break it. But for me, there's a real emphasis on paragraphs. That's where I really focus. I think paragraphs are the basic unit of writing. If a student can write one good paragraph, they can write two good paragraphs, they can write three good paragraphs. And as you say, it's simply a matter of getting an outline done. Um, graphic organizers or mind maps are real useful for that. Um, this is where tech really comes in handy. Google Docs, when they can edit each other and they can work on something together even when they're not in the same room or even if they're in the same room is very very helpful um, and this teacher can watch and see what's happening that's a very very useful thing like you getting them into simple sentences i tell my students especially my graduate students your writing should be like glass it should not be noticed if you notice a piece of glass it's because it's dirty or it's you know some kind of artisanal glass or something and you don't want people noticing your writing you want them noticing your ideas so I invoke the 12 word rule that no sentence can be longer than 12 words. I do not allow adverbs and I do not allow adjectives in sentences. It has to just be as clear and precise as possible. Um, and as my students know, it's cut, 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 cut it down, cut it down, cut it down until it's simple and clear. And they laugh at me for the cut, 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 cut thing. <laughs> um, but it's really very true. And um, you know, just again, write simply, write clearly, and that there is no relationship between, you know, complicated sentences and being super intelligent and real good examples of writing. I always try to give them Richard Feynman's writing, especially his report on the Challenger space shuttle explosion, which I think for advanced students is a really good example of clear writing um, with using simple language to explain complex ideas. But we could go on. Teaching the writing part is really, really long, and I have a whole lot of other stuff, but time's over. Mm -hmm. Okay, next topic. Okay, next topic. Um, I have here writing email. And I'm going to have to kind of punt with this one because I very rarely teach. So I'm going to let you start, and then I'll, I'll, I'll chip in with what I have done. Right? Okay. So writing email. Writing email just simply starts with... you got a lot get, of experience with this. Yes, with, I get emails from students that say, what is the homework? And that's the whole message. And I, then I have to write back. Use in, it's gotten to the point that I have this in text expander. Where there I you go. Like two keys. But the point is I have to write back. What is your name? What is your student number? What class are you in? What's, what exactly? What homework are you talking about? Et cetera, et cetera. So I think that there's a real need to teach how to write an email and that you need to teach your students to do this because nobody else is teaching them how to do it. For example, mm. they're so used to texting that they don't understand, um, for example, that there should be a greeting. Dear Mr. Dear Ms. Dear Professor. And then identification, identifying information. My name is, my student number is, I'm a student in your, in your you know, class. I'm writing about this homework. And then the question and then a closing. They don't know how to do it. The other thing they don't know how to do is they don't know how to reply to an email. They don't click reply so that you have the previous message. I keep getting new emails from students. And what they do is they'll read your email and then they'll send a new email. And then they don't include the previous information. They don't explain things. So I have no idea what they're talking about. So in reality, students don't know how to use email really effectively. So I think there's a real need to teach them that. and. As a teacher, I have a specific format that I teach them that and it's on the website and it says go here and here's the template and then just fill it out. 
you know, and use the information properly. But here's the thing is you got to teach it, 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 you got to teach it because it just takes some students a long time for whatever reason to get this right. And I think I was telling the story to you, Tony, the other day about a student who sent me an email, said, was my assignment uploaded? And I wrote back and I said, excuse me, but, you know, I need to know your name, your student number. Um, and what you're what talking university, about. What, what university? What university? So, right, right, right. What, exactly, exactly. So they sent back name and just nothing, minimally, right? And I said, okay, you've got to send me, I've said this before, you've got to send me a proper email format. I sent it back. And then they sent it back to me and they said, I got it. <laughs> I had to send back. And that was all they said was, <laughs> I got it. And I had to send back an email that says, no, actually, you didn't. Okay, you didn't Tony, my it. time's up. You didn't get it. Go, please. <laughs> I don't I don't have that much. I mean, I don't have that much because I like you, I, I get those kinds of emails and not in the volume that you do, I don't think, just because of, maybe because it's a different way they set up the classes and things. And yeah, there's there's a dire need for this. For me, I don't have not been able to find a good way to fit that in with most of my classes. Um uh, especially with my reading, writing class, my writing classes, I, again, I get my students to just, okay, are you interested in business correspondence? Are you interested in business email? And they can choose. And when it comes up, we, of course, we talk about it. But um, for my other classes, I guess I'm, I'm derelict in this. I do not teach this. Um, that's not, but not saying that they don't need it. They certainly do need it. Um, and as you said, um, they're pretty slow on the uptake with this. Uh, it's not something, it's, I, don't, I don't know why it's such a foreign concept, um, but it is. Uh, they just really don't, so many of them have no idea how to write a proper email message to, to, to anybody. You know, forget about register and basic information and etiquette, so forth and so on. Uh, but just the basics. Um, so many of them have no knowledge of it. I... And as much as I, you, you know, I, our generation, uh, email is such an important part of communication. I, at the same time, wonder, like, okay, am I, like with cursive writing, am I teaching a dying art? Is, I don't, you know, 10 years from now, email, is that going to be a thing? I don't know. What do you... We only got 30 seconds left. But. My response for it quickly, though, is I really don't care if it's a dying art. It's how students tend to communicate with me. Mm, and good. they're going to do they're, and they're not going to give me extra work. Yeah, good. You know, totally unnecessary extra work simply because they don't have it. So all you teachers out there, teach your students how to send an email properly, because especially <laughs> when I get things that say, hey, whiz. <laughs> 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 OK, next topic. Mm. Oh, okay. let's just go to manners. Um, How about manners? Okay, let's go to manners. Go. <laughs> manners. I, I, no, I don't want to go. I think I want to let you go because I don't do um, uh, a whole lot. At the very beginning of the class, we've got classroom English, and uh, manners are part of that. So let's do classroom um, English then, okay? And, I and do we'll a, talk manners we'll, later. Well, manners, no, no, let's do it all together. Manners, classroom English, and, and maybe class culture together. Because um, when I try to, I don't know, if class culture or it's cultural thing, and I know that I do this really differently uh, from what you do. Uh, with most of my classes, speaking classes, I you know explain that this is an English class, and language and culture are inextricably uh, intertwined, and that um, in class when you're speaking English, which should be all the time. Um, we're also going to use Western manners, and part of that is going to be first name basis. So I encourage them to use my first name. Um, and oh, I this use is where their we first really names. disagree. Yeah, this is right, right, right. Disagree. So, so I really get outside of that that uh, model of this this sensei uh, gakusei paradigm. Um, I says no, no, no. This English, and we're going to use first names, and. Western manners all the way down, and I try to, at various points in the in the semester, e emphasize what those differences might be. And I always do this when I'm making this speech. I'm I'm am sitting on a desk. This is a part of my shtick on the first day, and it's like, yeah, I understand 
that in Japan, this is extremely rude. I go into the whole hierarchical thing versus the, the, the lateral you know, type society. And it's like, you know, we're going to lose the hierarchy. We're going to lose the honorifics. It's contextual. It's not person to person. It's not rank. It's where you're at. When do you use formal language? When do you use casual language? It's got nothing to do with rank. It's got to do with the context and the situation. Talk about it's like, yeah, for me, it's very uncomfortable to be standing at the lectern or, or on the podium um, talking down to them. It's like, no, my, I want to be down here at your level talking with you, et cetera, et cetera. So I shift that all toward a Western milieu kind of environment atmosphere, uh, which I know is very different from what you do. So that's my two and a half minutes. Well, not, not so much different. Not so much okay. different. I just really emphasize manners. I'm just a real stickler for it. Uh, and the reason I, I especially do this with my student teachers is that the whole thing is that teaching your student manners tends to equalize socioeconomic differences to some degree. Not very much. But it's one of those micro-interventions that, you know, if you teach kids manners, then it makes them appear nicer. It makes them appear better. And I think anything that helps you succeed in life is going to be great. Uh, and I say that this is an, a class in English, and my job is to teach you English manners. So I'm very you know, strict that if I hand them a piece of paper and say, here you are, they have to say thank you. And then I say, you're welcome. Then they have to, when they pass a paper to another student, here you are, thank you, you're welcome. That they have to be polite to each other. They have to make eye contact. I know that in Japan, the first whenever you learn a foreign language, the first things you always learn, what are they? Like, please, excuse me, thank you, you're welcome. And these students have not been taught manners. It's not modeled in their English classes in high school or junior high school. I've observed those. So if you don't teach them manners, nobody's going to teach them manners in English. And I think, you know, in America, we have to explain to them that there's a real difference. You're supposed to engage the cashier to some degree. You're supposed to have a greeting and say thank you and you're welcome. Whereas in Japan, it's a much more hierarchical society. You pointed out that it's lateral. This is, I think, what's called the power distance index by Hofstede. Um, but I think it's important to teach manners and I emphasize it. I'm really strict with that. And Tony, I really hate when teachers use first names because either we should all use first names or we should all use last names because then I end up getting Mr. Charles because they don't know which is our first name, which is our last name. And also some of the students really don't understand or don't think it's important to use, you know, Mr. or Ms. or Tony Sensei, for example, right? They don't understand well, that. And I think, but I'm just saying, I think it confuses them. They don't know which which way to call teachers. So I think teachers have to be really clear about that. If you're going to use your first name, say, this is how I like it. Other professors will want to be called Mr. So-and-so or Ms. So-and-so. Anyway, that's just my opinion. Yeah, well, I, I, I hit that with uh, my nails on the blackboard. <laughs> the, the name thing, right? The first name, last name, on Mr., Mr., whatever. It's like, it's, it's that's part of the whole thing that I that I teach there. But okay. uh, basically, manners are important. Timer, go. Okay. <clears throat> What's the topic? Oh, I don't know. Which something's <laughs> ringing. Uh, let's, there do, we go. Let's, okay. let's go back to listening. Okay, okay, you go, because I've gone two times in a row. Uh, okay. What is the timer? <clears throat> okay. Is that my timer um, or yours? That is your timer. <clears throat> huh, that's really funny. <laughs> okay, so, listening. I can't stop it. Oh, my God. <laughs> go. And uh, listening, it's uh, one of the areas that um, we're really, I, teachers, very, very fortunate uh, with um, the developments in tech, you know, because we always talk about tech, you know, whether it's useful or it's not, whether it interferes or not. This is one of the cases where it's really, really helpful. <clears throat> all, your, all your students have phones. Um, you've got access to the internet. You, all, there's YouTube files. There's the TEDx files. There's so there's such an incredible wealth of listening podcasts and so forth and so on. Um, and it makes all the sense in the world to use real word content um, rather than, you know, the canned things from textbooks. Assuming that the student's listening ability is capable of, 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 of getting and uh, getting that, like sometimes the listen, their listening level is so low that you really need something that's geared specifically toward them. Um, you talked a couple about uh, a couple of web pages that you used with the reading classes, Newzella and uh, Newzella and uh, was it Breaking, Breaking News, News English, English, that also has a audio, com also have audio components. 
uh, which are really, really useful for that. Um, in terms of other specific things, um, try to uh, teach them uh, that one of the most difficult things about listening is in a foreign language is word separation. So just hearing where one word ends and the other begins, you know, with, with some, you know, emphasis on, you know, a particular thing that you're listening to so from the textbook or from you know, a YouTube or whatever it is, or even if it's my own recording of a story or something. Practice in, in, in determining to in separating the words out. Um, also, something that I don't do a lot in, in most of my other classes, I do uh, make an effort to expose them to different accents in English uh, because that can also be quite different. And then and I've got like a, a lot of you know interesting videos. I've got like, for example, a voice actor where she demonstrates 26 different English accents. Um, <laughs> nah, so, and, um, you know, the, the funny thing is, is like, I'm here and it's like, boy, this is all really different. And I, <laughs> the students like, oh, it sounds the same. <laughs> and it's like, really? <laughs> um, but, um, also, yeah, we'll, with, with pronunciation and with listening also, uh, when there are big differences between, for example, American, different kinds of American Englishes or British English or, 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 uh, kind of point out what those differences are. Um, and, um, to take the, for when, it, when it's an entire listening class to take it to the next level and really starting something I've only started to do in the last couple of years is note taking and note taking skills. And that's something that's transferable over to, you know, to, to their own native language as well. But that's really challenging for them, but, I, but really, really helpful. Um, the skills involved in not only listening and analyzing and writing the notes, but also ordering the notes, organizing notes on the page, you know, whether it's Cornell or other whatever methods you use. Okay, done. Okay. How much time do we have left? A minute and a half. Okay. So um, <clears throat> listening, um, different levels, really a difficult thing. One of the, um, here's a simple tech thing that I've done is instead of um, having centralized listening where I start the recording and end the recording and using the room um, PA system or whatever you want to call it, I have the students use their, their phones, their smartphones, so that they can stop, start if they want. They can listen independently. They um, are working on their own. And I think that gives them a little bit more time, a little bit more freedom. Um, we should talk about this in tech, but you know, if every student's coming in, literally, 99.9% .9 of the students have a smartphone, then why are we putting stuff up on the board and, you know, having centralized listening? I think the note-taking thing is incredibly important, especially for, you know, in listening. And the Cornell note-taking system gives them a, um, an organized template that they can use. Um, again, vocabulary and extensive listening, having them just listening to things that they know that they can understand and giving them comfort. Um, exposure to accents, I think, is a very important point, Tony. And um, some, you know, they just don't can't hear the differences. So, for them, I don't. But that makes me think. On a, now that I'm thinking about it, if they can't really hear the differences and it sounds the same to them, and if I'm checking them and they have the same comprehension, what difference does it make? Is it extra work? Um, listening, especially, I think more than maybe even reading, requires differentiated. Um, levels because you get real differences in the ability for my students to listen and hear things huge huge, huge difference yeah so bing, something bing, like breaking bing, bing, bing. time over yeah okay go <laughs> um next is what uh, critical pronunciation? thinking pronunciation critical think you want to do pronunciation, pronunciation and then do critical thinking okay okay do that so All right i'll go okay, Pr okay. pronunciation um here's what i do um the biggest difference between english and japanese is that um, in Japanese, you have limited mouth movement, and in English, you have much more mouth movement. And if you're teaching German, it's really extensive. But to teach, getting the students to move their mouths so that they say things. So I do the, um, you get a hashi, um, a chopstick, one chopstick. You tell them to put it in their mouth or a pen and to put their tooth on it. And then the idea is that their lips cannot touch the pen or the chopstick. And this forces them to move their mouths. And that does a lot to help them improve their pronunciation. Uh, it's a key. And I demonstrate this by showing them that if I speak to them in English and then I stop moving my mouth very much and then they can't understand what I say, but then I speak to them in Japanese for about 15 seconds and they understand it, that gives them a real 
insight into the difference so that the importance of moving their mouths. Um, teaching L and R, by the way, um, is an interesting thing. And that kind of goes back to listening. But a lot of times people, there's a real close relationship between listening and you know pronunciation. Sometimes they can't even hear the sound that you're trying to get them to pronounce. Correct. And other times you want to teach them the pronunciation before you teach them how to differentiate. So for example, L and R, I actually teach them how to pronounce it before we go back and have them listen to the difference between L and R. So you have to play with that with your students as to which one should come first. Um, those are just so closely entwined. Um, it's a physical activity, pronunciation. TH, for example, is just practice, 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 because it's not that hard for them to, to stick their tongue out a little bit and exhale the air. Um, and it's really an emphasis on moving your mouth, forming your lips, and getting them to consciously be aware of using um, more more muscles in their in their face, their facial muscles. So I say that after a class, you should actually feel a little funny after you're speaking. So that's what I do for pronunciation. But I think you have a whole bunch of things you do, don't you? Uh, yeah, because I've been teaching. I've been teaching pronunciation classes for a real long time, and listening classes too, and they're very often paired, one semester each, and things. Um, yeah, pronunciation. Another thing where you use the tech, and you talk about the iPhone, right? So, um, or iPhone or any modern smartphone. Uh, where you use its dictation um, method, right? So yeah, you, you, you show the kids, and they 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 pick it up immediately, um, and start you know talking into their phones, and their dictation application will then try to make sense out of what they're saying, and they can they can it's it's self correcting, and um, they they'll they will do this on their own, just practicing um, for tests and for a class and things. So uh, that's a wonderful tool. So you have like every student's got their own little recorder. So for that and so on. Um, you talked about like the, especially the L, the R, and the TH, which for which they have to, well, for the L's and the TH, need to get their tongue out. Um, a real big part of that is overcoming the shyness. Yes, yes. And really, if you're there, they're so self-conscious and they're so reluctant to, to, to actually do it. They, they can see it. They understand it. There's, <laughs> they just, there's something inside that won't let them do that. Um, the other thing that I want to echo and, and emphasize, you talked about, um, is the physical aspect of it. And I explain this all the time in the pronunciation classes that really it's almost like, a, in some ways, it's like a PE class because you've really got to develop and exercise different muscles in your mouth than you use when you're speaking Japanese. And that, yes, it's like we're, if you're doing this correctly, after 20 minutes, your mouth's going to be tired. It, it's going to start to hurt. And so, you know, and so we're going to change the activities. We're going to do different things. We're going to take breaks. But... And I tell them, and I said, I said, you guys okay? Because their mouth hurts and my mouth hurts. Even mine is like from like the overemphasized pronunciation of different um, phonemes uh, taxes me as well. Uh, but um, again, the use of the tech with the, with, you know, just like with the listening, we, I, I, I provide, you know, audio files for the students uh, with lists of, of words and pronunciation and so forth. And, um, you know, I, I see them practicing before class. They've got their phones out. They've got their headphones on. Um, and they're going through the list. And it's a perfect um, application of technology toward te to teaching, uh, which, is, which is a real godsend for, uh, for the students and for the teacher. It really, for the listening and pronunciation, it's great. <sighs> okay. That's pretty much good. What's yeah. the next? Okay. Critical thinking. Critical thinking. Go. No, you go. <laughs> There's a lot of problems on this one. A lot of problems. Ah. This is big, and I see it all the time, and I see this in textbooks. This textbook uses critical thinking, et cetera, et cetera. And most of the time, the critical thinking is identify the main idea of a paragraph okay. or something. That is not what critical thinking is. Um, and please don't ask me to define critical thinking. But, <laughs> you know, I think right. what we have to do is we have to break that down. So, for example, are you saying evaluating arguments, evaluating whether or not something is true or false, evaluating whether there are examples for something. So this whole idea of critical thinking um, is, it's a real problem because it's, it's too big. So first mm. off, decide, I decide what I'm really going to be teaching when I talk about critical thinking. So for example, fact and opinion. If you introduce the idea of fact and opinion to most first year 
Japanese college students, it's the first time they've ever been exposed to the idea. Yes. And I go through a whole thing where I say, okay, let's go through fact and opinion. It's hot today. And they'll say, okay, if it's hot, they'll say, yes, that's a fact. And I go, no, that's an opinion. I say, is it cold today? Let's say it's um, a, a fall day and it's about 24 degrees outside or something. And they go, yes, it's um, it's a warm day or something. I go, no, it's a, if you're a penguin, it's a super hot day. And then we go into degree. And so you teach them the fact that facts are measurable data that it's that has that can is repeatedly is able to be measured and there's lots of problems with that I know but it's getting them first off to understand that there's a difference between fact and opinion sure the other problem in a critical thinking class and I got to rush through because I only want to talk about time is that in Japanese it's there is no way for somebody to say I'm sorry really I disagree with your idea or I think you're wrong that's just really a difficult thing for students to do and I talked about peer editing and writing it's a real hard thing to teach a student to say no I'm sorry I think you're wrong that's a statement I think that you can't actually even say in Japanese. So trying to get the students just to be able to identify facts from opinions and to ask whether there's evidence and then to say, okay, what is the evidence for your argument is our important steps. But please, you know, when you're thinking about critical thinking, try to break it down first and do not say that identifying the main idea of a paragraph is critical thinking. And I really hate it when I see that in textbooks and I'm going to stop there. Go, Tony. Yeah, I don't have a have not had cause to teach critical thinking as a thing in and of its own. I use it a lot and use this a lot in my um, uh, more advanced discussion type classes. Well, actually, it's, a, it's in everything, everything classes. Um, but absolutely, uh, one of the really important things is, as, as you said, uh, making the distinction between reasons and opinions. You know, what constitutes a reason is something that needs to be taught because our students don't know this. Um, and I think if you're going to attempt to teach these things, teach critical thinking to students, you need to come with, with the awareness that pretty much most of the time, you're, for the students, it's, these are uncharted waters. These concepts and ideas are not something It's a totally different planet. It's a, a, whole exactly. it's a different solar system. <laughs> exactly, and I, I appreciated like your your comments about the difference between Japanese and English because yeah, I talked a little bit before about some of the classes that I teach the difference between you know language and culture, how they're intertwined, and in in so many ways this kind of critical thinking, mode of argumentation and the mode of persuasion and 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 discussion and disagreement are not only extremely culturally loaded, but in sometimes linguistically problematic. As you said, there's a lot of times these things which you almost uh, so hard to say in Japanese. Um, so that, you know, again, like the, the idea, what comes first, the idea or the, the language for it. <laughs> Shamsky. Anyway, um, the, uh, they really have to like begin at the very beginning uh, with in English with that kind with those ideas because I, I doing it in you know again translating or doing it from the Japanese perspective be like, impossible almost right mm. it's a big difference yeah I think when I talk with people I, about this language differences I talk about the difference of when my wife and I first met and you know realized we were in a relationship and we were negotiating whether to use English or Japanese and she said we need to use English and I said why and she said because it's very difficult to fix anything in Japanese to fix problems in Japanese so let's use English and I thought that was an interesting insight but yes the language and the cultural thing is a real important thing here okay done let's go next topic I think we're kind of winding down. I mean, what do we have? Do we have anything left? We've got, uh, we um, have using websites. Using and, the websites. Okay. Okay. You want to go with this first or? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Because okay. Um, okay. Okay. Websites. Yeah. Um, try to make. Um, I think my website is excellent. <laughs> 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 but um, what I've done is I've spent a lot of time trying to simplify my website, make it really easy to read. I've gotten some interesting feedback from students. Um, I used to not believe that I should use bold or italics or slightly different fonts or things. But students said you should emphasize things using colors or special fonts. Make um, The website should be as simple as possible. I mean, really go as simple, make it as easy to navigate as possible. Um, make sure things are clear and differentiated. So for example, in my website, I have 
classwork and homework for each week. And I use little icons to indicate upload links and download links and things that are really important. I have like a spinning cog, which means, you know, warning, warning, test coming or something like this. Uh, yeah, I think that and make sure that what, whatever, whatever web system or provider you're using, it's it really primarily looks good on a phone. That's really key because most of your students are accessing the most of my students are accessing the website with their phones and that's even how they're uploading things now. So that's really good. Um, we've talked a little bit. Neither one of us uses Moodle, I think, and that's exactly the reason, right, is that it seems to be too complicated, complex, um, hard for students to navigate. And I know all the Moodle people, you can go in and send me nasty notes and stuff like this. But I get students for a semester. I'd be the only teacher using Moodle. I don't have time to teach them how to use it. I don't have time to spend a whole lot of time getting them used to figuring it out. Whereas with a website, it's available, it's there, it's easy, and they're familiar with it. Um, if you're making a website by yourself and you don't want to use Moodle, there are things called um, Drop It To Me, which is a great free service that allows you to, for students to be able to upload files, homework, and then it sends it to a drop a file in your Dropbox, that's really, really great. Um, you can use Dropbox or Box for being having access for students to email you. If you use something like WordPress, it's great um, and it can be free. I think you use WordPress, right, Tony? I use WordPress, WordPress for a lot of my specific class blogs, right, yeah. .com. And one day we should really talk about the real difference between a website and a blog, but that's for another reason. Tony, go. Okay. Yeah, um, basically what you said, I think if you're going to, and you should, I think, <clears throat> um, have a web page or web pages, which you almost have to do because its classes are so different, right? Um, <clears throat> they've got to be foolproof. You've got to really spend, which which is going to seem like an insane amount of time trying to figure out the different ways that it can break or the different ways that things can go wrong because your students will find that. <laughs> if there's a way to break it, the students are going to find it. This is the one place where they're really creative. They're creative, yes. <laughs> I was about to say. It's like, I'm <laughs> truly amazed that this is where they, they, sh they exhibit incredible creativity. If there's, a, if them, there's a way to creative. screw it up, they're going to find it. <laughs> it's amazing, right? I beg them, please be creative. Please be creative. And then they go ahead and by screwing up my website, they're completely creative. And then I get upset at them. <laughs> So you're gonna sorry. You'll, go you'll ahead. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. I mean, you, but you'll you'll spend like an hour on you know nailing this down. Every hour you spend is gonna it's gonna pay off like in 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 hours and hours and hours of stuff when it goes out wrong, and then like you get this tsunami of student problems that just like manifest right after one of the other. It's like oh my god. So just make it bulletproof. You have to. Yeah. Um, and basically, if you have to explain the web page, you've you've kind of done it wrong. You should great have point. To explain great it. point. Great point. And it's and um, I just you know, as you were saying, I, I looked on my phone. And it's like, oh geez, I hope that's it. Yes, and WordPress does. It's a responsive design, and it does change, and it makes it very legible, legible on a on a phone. It's just making sure. I thought that was the case. But that's but by that's, theme. That's theme by theme. So it. be careful. Be careful with WordPress. It's theme by theme. Mm -hmm. Okay. But right. I think most of them yeah. are now responsive. And responsive just means it scales to whatever device. So computer. Yeah, so if you've done on a phone, it looks good. If it's on a tablet, it looks good. If it's on a right. web page, it looks it looks normal and usable. Um and just don't get fancy. Simple English. Simple simple, <laughs> simple, simple. Yes. Simple design, simple words, simple, simple, simple. Short uh, and simple. <laughs> that's because Again, because if something's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong. Murphy's Law, it's going to go wrong. Um, Four, and, three. You know, a, a real good example is like there was a, in, in any system, whether it's online or not. It's like I, I, I taught, <clears throat> used to teach at a certain university. <laughs> and um, the, the system that they had for their grade submission, every semester, about half the students, half the teachers had problems submitting their grades. This is not a teacher problem. This is a systematic problem. This is a system thing. This is, if half the kids are getting it wrong, it's not their fault. It's the teacher's fault. Go back and look at what you set up and, and, and fix it. Because if half of them are doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. You're not explaining it right. Mm. Oh. Fair enough. Okay, we're done there. Yeah. We have one more topic. 
oh, class go. culture. Okay. Okay. All so right. you go. You want to go? I went first no. last time. No, <laughs> I don't want to go. Okay. This class culture, uh, and when, when we're talking about this, Tony, you and I talk about this a lot, is just the general ethos, the, the feeling, the way the students should be conducting themselves in our classes, because it's really quite different from other classes. So when I talk to my students, for example, I have to kind of realign them, recalibrate them to the fact that you're going to be working, you're going to be talking in this class, not me. And they, because they come in with a feeling that if the teacher's not talking, there's no teaching going on, which therefore means that there's no learning going on. Right. And one of the real important things in the class culture I try to teach them is that there's a difference between teaching and learning and that they're responsible for learning, that, that, that learning is something that they do. And so that they're talking, they're working with each other. Uh, that's really important. Creating a cooperative classroom so that the students help each other, work together. And the first thing you've got to do to explain them is to say, I am not grading on a curve. If everybody in the class earns a 90, then everybody gets a 90. That's just the way it's going to work. That it's in their interest to work together. So I have I explained that, work with them in that sense, as well as trying to create other, um, you know, I guess, se a sense of well-being. Uh, really hard. And I've, after 28 years, 30 years, whatever, I still don't know how to do this, but it's almost impossible to get them to ask questions, to tell you that they don't understand. You drill them, you teach them this. I don't understand. I don't understand. The only way really to do this is to use what would be used to be called a clicker system is using something like Socrative, where they can just send a message real quickly or you know click on something and say I don't understand um, getting them to help each other uh, breaking the habit in the class saying do not ask each other translate each other to, with each other if I say something to you do not turn to your friend and ask them what was said and then explaining to them that if you explain to your friend you're not helping them uh, again the manners part treating everybody respectfully working together um, teaching them about, hey, when you come into class, we're starting the class with a review, we're ending it with a review. Teaching them that I, they have to count off to go into groups so things work efficiently and smoothly. Um, spend not a lot of time, but a good amount of time for teaching them how we're going to move around the room and so that they can do that effectively and we don't waste a lot of time. And, you know, class culture basically is teaching them that mistakes are okay and trying to get them comfortable with mistakes and anything with like class culture, anything is teach it, teach it again, teach it again, teach it again, teach it again. And maybe by the 15th week, <laughs> they'll be getting things. Um, but also please follow directions and trying to get them to understand that they have to do things right. And the way that I ask, because it takes up my time and that there's an interaction that's going on between us and that there's a relationship we're developing. Okay, Tony, go. With um, class culture, because we, we did a whole episode on, on school culture, right? How, how different universities are different from each other. But then, and as you said, that's really big difference um, from class to class. And some of it's like, yes. some of it is class personality. Um, yes. And so we, what you've, what, at the beginning of a, a year or a semester, what you've got is you, you, you've got what you get, right? So it, when students come in the classroom, they've got a certain set of experiences, a certain set, and come in with certain expectations, and that's what you get. And then you've got your your class begins, your semester begins, and it's what you do. It's uh, what you teach them and what you explain to them and basically set re-groove and re-explain what your expectations are. And this goes a little bit back to, for example, the manners thing. Okay. So what are the, what are, what are the expectations? What are the limits? Um, in terms of you know behavior and performance, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, what you're going to do, and you to a certain extent are limited by what you get, um, and especially for for example when you have second year students or when you have like for example I'm about to have students in their, in their second semester, what I'm able to do is pretty much not pretty much dictated but it's severely influenced by what they did in their first year with who they had in their first semester because yeah i go to class and begin with what i think is just a, a normal class and i have the students look at me and look it's like 
this guy what's what's with this guy he expects us to do something yeah he's exactly not, we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna he's not gonna talk and we're gonna sit here and pick our nose it's like we have to we have to do something what 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 tells this guy's problem so yeah, you pretty much whenever you know you begin a semester or, be, or begin an academic year with with new students, um, it's it's a difficult thing. It's like how much you can change, how much you can move them off, and sometimes you don't have to. Sometimes they come in and you and you're set, and they're just it's, it's a joy from day one. Um, sometimes it's a little difficult. Sometimes it's a, it's a year long struggle. Uh, and that's going to vary a lot from school to school, from class to class, major to major within one in institution. Uh, and how you do that effectively, it's a, it's a learned thing, I guess. Mm. Um, a lot of it's, you know, kind of seat of the pants, how much you can push, what you can do, and so forth and so on. But um, learning how to do that, and this, I guess this is a good topic for us. Learning how to do that is really nice because it can make the rest of your year a lot easier or harder. And I guess, Charles, once we figure out how to do it, maybe we'll have an episode we'll, on it. <laughs> or, or we'll be laying on a beach in Tahiti or something, right? I mean, that's be almost like the holy grail in a way, isn't it? <laughs> right. Okay, right. so we're down and we're done with time and we've covered our topics and we're exactly at one hour and one At minute. an hour. There we Excellent. go. Excellent. Very good. Okay, so we've, I think, tried to be concrete, covered a lot of topics, and uh, I rushed to get everything in in my two and a half minutes so my apologies for speaking quickly but yeah it's the beginning of the semester and uh i got actually tony i got some real good ideas today that kind of um me too i, I got a some, whole page uh, no i got a whole page of notes here yeah stuff i'm going to do and uh that's good thank you very much for that and, and thank you so i guess uh yeah so i hope yeah everybody got something out of that i mean there's still there was certainly a lot there <laughs> Uh, we tried to, yeah, again, being concrete about things. Mm. And I think, but, you know, if I were to say, you know, to uh, you know, somebody said, hey, Charles, what's the most important thing I can do? Is I would just say repeat. <laughs> Rinse and repeat, <laughs> <all> right? <laughs> that idea that you just have to keep repeating things and repeating things and going yeah, over re things. Reinforce, reinforce, reinforce. It just, yeah, yeah, right, right. The review at the beginning, review at the end is just, it can't not, you cannot miss that. Because for most of the students, I think this is true for you too, right, Tony? Is that they're not getting any contact with the language outside of our classes, or most of, not, the, most of the time not, right? Right, or they're not having contact with somebody who is teaching in a way similar to ours. Let's say there's a real high probability of that. So you've got to always give them chances for reinforcement. And um, the, just the other thing I wanted to say about the um, the website. If you don't have a website because you think it's really, really difficult, there's a lot of really nice services out there um, that will let you have a website for free and they manage everything and all you have to do is kind of just put a simple thing together with some, you know, simple templates. So don't be scared of it if you haven't done it already. And it's really useful for students and the best thing is if you create an online link, students can't submit late homework. Ha <laughs> ha. You know exactly. Yeah, not, yeah, not, not no to put you on the, yeah, not to put you on the spot, but you said like there's a lot of these easy sites. Can you like just give one or two uh, recommendations for people who are curious? What, what I would think you recommend? WordPress.com takes a couple of hours to get used to, and then it's just done. It's really yep. easy. Um, Ghost, if you're willing to, it costs a little bit more money, but also a very simple thing. There's um, if you want a little more detail and control, there's a thing Weebly for teachers, which allows you to put up a website. Um, if you want to spend a little bit of money, Squarespace lets you put together a beautiful website. Um, when, and when I say easy, it does mean you're going to have to put a little bit of time, and it's going to be a weekend if you're not if you've never done this before. But that will reward you incredibly with just a lot of access. And one of the best things about having your own website, and Tony, I find this to be incredible, is I automatically have a record. I know what I've done. <laughs> it's right there. Yes. Isn't that uh, yeah. something? Yeah, I, I don't have <laughs> to look. You, it forces you to put up exactly what you're going to do and exactly what you did. And there's, it's there and it's there for you as much as it is for your students. Yeah, I get what to say. What did I do last I, week? Yeah. I said, yeah, here it is. Oh, look. Okay, fine. Everything's there. Um, and it forces me to actually express my ideas really simply and clearly. So the extra work actually come you come out ahead. 
in the long mm -hmm. term. So if yeah. you if you want if you haven't done it yet, there are some services out there, but it's not like just go ahead and boom, you're done. But I think WordPress.com is reasonably what would you say about four or five hours initial investment, and then you're uh, okay. Initial investment, but like what I said before, it's like you put it up initially, and then you really gotta work at it before you say that you're done. There's so much to making it bulletproof and trying to figure out all the ways that someone can do something wrong. But, but yeah, simplicity, but, right? Just start simple, yeah. simple, just start simple. simple, but get it up there and deal with the problems as they come up. Otherwise, you will never put it up because you're trying to make it yep. perfect at the beginning. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, just use a simple theme. Themes basically are templates that format your website in a certain way. Just it makes it all the simple. design. It makes all the design decisions for you. You know, colors, yeah, the and layout, fonts, and stuff. It's just like boom, exactly. choose this. This looks good. Okay, and then you make a simple layout. And there's a lot of um, online resources for how to do this, but the investment I think comes back to you really, really quickly. Don't you think? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. So Tony, thank you. We are two teachers talking yes, a sir. lot. <laughs> we should change our to two teachers talking a lot. So I'm Charles Wiz. Tony Silva. And we're Two Teachers Talking at twoteachers.com. We're on iTunes. Probably that's how you're listening to us. And a variety of Two Teachers Talking at or something else, right? Yep. Gmail. Blah, blah. Dot com. Everywhere else. Okay. Okay, second semester. Here we come. Here we go. Okay. Good luck, Tony. All right. You too. See you. Bye.